0: Uh, This is our third sermon in the book of Mark, our series on the King and His cross. So turn with me as we read Mark chapter 1. We're going to do most of the second half, but uh, we already had a few of those verses uh, preached on last week. So... I think uh, in your sermon outline, they're a little removed. I didn't print it all out, but if you have your Bibles with you, your phone, we're going to start Mark 1:21. And they, Jesus and his disciples, went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. Mark's favorite word here, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jump down five verses, verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean, moved with pity But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty, eternal, and merciful God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path open and illuminate our minds that we may purely and perfectly understand your word and conform our lives to it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The great writer and humor columnist Dave Barry tells about when he went to a baseball game one time with a, a bunch of other writers. And a couple rows in front of them, a famous actor at the time, His name was David Burney, uh, sat, and there was a woman sort of sitting in between them who recognized this actor. She got very excited, and she wanted to get his autograph. So she turned around and asked for a pen from his row and leaned up and got the autograph and then handed the pen back to Stephen King, (laughs) like the most recognizable And uh, famous horror fiction writer of all time. But he had his baseball hat on, and she didn't even notice. Sometimes famous people want to move around in secret and not be recognized. Right? The, uh, The burden of the millionaire movie star or athlete or actor is that while they usually crave fame and people's attention, and recognition that when they're not performing, maybe they want to have a private life. And that's kind of hard to do when you're being chased by paparazzi or constantly asked for pictures or autographs. I remember being in Colorado skiing with my brother and a few other friends. And we were at breakfast at a resort. And I looked over, and uh, Justin Leonard, who if you're a golfer or a golf fan You know who that is? Uh, He was sitting there with his family. And so I'm nudging my brother saying, we got to get a picture. You know, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law. They would love that. We got to get over there. And he said something to the effect of, settle down. He just wants to eat his breakfast with his family, go skiing. Famous people just want to be left alone. Okay. Fair enough. In today's passage, Jesus is... Somewhat dealing with this, Jesus is interrupted sort of everywhere he goes. Uh, Whether he's in church or in someone's home or out on the streets walking around, he's accosted. And he responds to everyone who comes to him graciously and compassionately. And he does some pretty miraculous things. Things that get him famous, things that get talked about, that sought out, the, kind of the ancient world's version of going viral. It's out there. People are starting to know who he is. And in the midst of all that, he gives this command not to tell people about what he's done. To not spread things. He doesn't want the hype and the fame. He wants to be able to go where he needs to go without a big crowd. And it's, it's not that he's a celebrity and that he just needs peace and he's annoyed by the unwashed masses. Right? He has deeper reasons. And, I mean, we're reading the text going, this is perfect. Jesus' message is getting out there. I mean, our instinct is more is better. Right? Greater exposure, more people knowing about Jesus. And yet, he's distancing himself from that and asking people to keep that a secret. But before we get sort of to that part, first we need to read about when Jesus went to church, when he went to the synagogue where he showed his authority in teaching. The first two verses there, verses 21 and 22. Let me read them again. They went into Capernaum. Remember, Jesus has only called four disciples at this time so they all go in. Immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Apparently, the local synagogue was a lot more open to having people just come in and offer to give the morning's message. Uh, you know, our, our churches aren't really like that. You know, somebody comes in here, I think a deacon is tasked to tackle them if they try to get up here. The sermon series is set in stone, man. Don't mess with it. But Jesus is allowed to stand up and start teaching about God, expounding on the scriptures that was kind of built into their local synagogue worship. You see it with Paul. That's how he gets in and starts preaching about Jesus. Verse 22 says, They were astonished at his teaching. They taught as, he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes they were used to. Now, remember, that's not always how people reacted to Jesus' preaching. Remember, Luke 4, Jesus goes in. Uh, it's in Nazareth, his hometown. And he reads Isaiah 61 and then says, congratulations. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's me. The scripture is fulfilled because I'm here. And that's not what they wanted to hear. They become enraged. They drive him out to a cliff wanting to throw him over. But that's his hometown. Prophet, no honor in his hometown, even says that. Here in Capernaum, they're astonished. Kent Hughes says that the Greek word for astonished exaplosanto, has the connotation of being struck with panic or shock. It means that his preaching struck them a blow. Jesus' preaching carried a powerful punch. But that verse says a lot more than that. This is the first time that Marx used that word authority. And you've got to remember the word Author is contained in the word authority. Listen, your pastors, we are very careful to uh, put footnotes and cite the sources for where we get ideas for our sermon, right? Uh, We want to, first of all, never be accused of plagiarism, and so we got to be careful to cite that. Good scholarly work. But additionally, we want to give credit to the people whose works we've read and who have suggested things to us and who have said it better than we could say it. And that's how the rabbis of that day taught, in a sense, right? They, were, they always quoted one another, and they built off of each other's teachings even more probably than we do. And so they would say, Rabbi Hillel says this, and Rabbi Gamaliel said that, and they would just teach on one another's and just build up that from there. Well, Jesus cuts right through that. Jesus never needed quotes from other teachers. He didn't need footnotes to bolster his teachings. If anything, he cited the Old Testament, I mean the scriptures at the time. And he cited them not as someone reading them, but as the one who wrote them. Right? The author. He was the author of all the scriptures having inspired the men who wrote it, giving them the words. And he's the author of each one of our lives. No wonder the people were astonished. He was explaining the story of their lives as their author. But that's not all that happened at church that day, was it, in the synagogue? Jesus has an opportunity to showcase his authority over the spirit world, over evil spirits. So let's read again verses 23 through 28. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Craig and Maria Garriott uh, started a PCA church in inner city Baltimore in the 1980s. And I just finished reading Maria's book about those experiences called A Thousand Resurrections. It was hard work. Uh, But in one of the chapters that talked about their church after it was up and running, she wrote, Our church services were not immune from drama. Once a man walked in off the street, marched up to Bill Bowling at the podium, and told him to take up a collection. I need $136 for rent, he said. Another time, a burly, deranged attendee took a swing at one of our elders, sending him crashing into a pew. Another woman whose childhood had been particularly traumatic sometimes erupted during services, screaming, weeping, and threatening suicide. We haven't had those kinds of disturbances at Potomac Hills, thankfully. We should probably be ready. Anybody can walk in here. Uh, but thankfully, we haven't had that. Uh, and I think what this calls attention to is what the, when spiritual things are happening, spiritual warfare may break out. That's what happened when Jesus went and started teaching. Right? Evil spirits react to the presence of good and of God. And Jesus is there. They don't like being challenged. R.C. Sproul said that there are very few references to demonic activity in the Old Testament and really few uh, recorded instances in later church history. However, while Jesus was on earth, it's safe to say all hell broke loose. Satan ramped up his attacks when Jesus came in the flesh, right? Jesus bringing the kingdom of God, Satan wasn't just going to roll over and admit defeat. And while Jesus' divinity was veiled, and so people didn't usually recognize him, the demons knew exactly who he was, right? Jesus of Nazareth, they know his name. We know who you are, the Holy One of God. But demons aren't omniscient. They don't know all things. They don't have special prophetic knowledge of the future. And so they ask, why are you here? What do you want from us? Are you coming to destroy us? But this isn't a conversation. This isn't a negotiation, right? Shut up and get out is about all they get from Jesus. The demon pitches a fit, makes a lot of noise, but he has no choice but to obey and flee. Without actually saying it, Jesus is making a strong claim here to divinity. Right? I mean, who has authority over the spirit realm Only one who is stronger than them spiritually. You do not want to try to cast out a demon without knowing whether you're actually spiritually strong enough to do it. Just look in Acts chapter 19. Ask the seven sons of Siva who tried it. And the demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, I don't know you. He comes out and beats them all. But Jesus can free anyone from their bondage, no matter how serious, because he has complete authority over every spiritual being. So now that we know that Jesus had authority in teaching and authority in the spirit world, we move into two stories of this man who had no medical training or no tools and yet had authority over disease So the first story there, the first part of that, verses 29 through 34. Immediately, he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. All right, how many of you thought all of the apostles, all the disciples were single guys following Jesus around? You maybe missed this little detail that Paul had. I mean, uh, Peter had a mother-in-law. It's meant he had a wife. He's not mentioned, but I can just imagine Simon Peter talking to his wife. Okay, honey, I'll tell Jesus about your mom being sick. I don't know what he's going to do. I know he just, like, cast out a demon at church, but he's coming over for lunch. I don't know. I don't know if we get, like, special privileges because I'm part of his group now, but we'll see what we can do. Well, yeah, Jesus comes. Comes over for lunch, and as soon as he hears, he goes to her, holds her by the hand, lifts her up. She's immediately healed, so much so that she immediately starts serving. Back when I was a youth pastor, I always felt like Sundays were these, like, marathon days. I had uh, just... Long days, you know, because I had sort of the similar schedule of getting here at 8, 8.30, setting up, rehearsing the band, teaching Sunday school, uh, lead music, and then I'd go home, grab a quick bite to eat, check the NFL scores, and then all afternoon was youth group, and I just would be exhausted at the end of that. But those Sabbath days pale in comparison to Jesus' day here, Right? Everything that we've read is is one day so far. I mean, Jesus has preached, performed an exorcism and a healing. I mean, that would have wiped most of us out, right? But then what does Mark say? The whole town comes to the door. I mean, word gets out quickly and everyone comes. Sounds like Jesus spent all night healing, casting out demons, bringing unbelievable deliverance to Capernaum. So the text moves from a simple case of a fever to the most dreaded disease of that time. So jump down to verses 40 through 45. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. I think we tend to think of leprosy as just a skin disease. It's, it was a lot more serious than that. It was a disease that attacked the blood and the flesh and the bones and, until the person became numb and lost sensation in their limbs. Leprosy was basically incurable at the time, so that even though the person lived, they were treated as if they had already died. In fact, later in the Middle Ages, the priests would read the burial rites over someone who had just been diagnosed as a leper. And so they were sent away from society to be quarantined. Right, living in leper colonies. They were so contagious. Um, they were required to ring a bell and yell unclean if they came upon healthy people. And they had to keep a stone's throw distance or there would be a stone thrown at them. So a leper comes to Jesus. He breaks the law by coming close, kneeling in front of him, He was so desperate to be healed, Mark uses the verb implored, right? He begged him urgently. And Jesus could have just spoken the man's healing, right? But he touches him because he's moved with pity, the text says. How like our compassionate Lord to reach out and touch this man who probably hasn't felt a human touch, in years. And what's supposed to happen when a clean person touches an unclean person? They become unclean, right? But with Jesus, the natural flow of things is reversed. The man is clean. And so now after showing himself to a priest what the law prescribed, he was free to go find his family and hug them and Reunite and go back to the community and go plug back into his life that he had lost. He was really brought back from the dead in many senses. This man's life was totally changed. But the text says that Jesus sternly charged him not to tell anyone, right? It wasn't just a passing suggestion. Jesus does not want his identity revealed ahead of his timing. His movement becomes restricted once everyone finds out about him. People start this buzz about who Jesus is. Assumptions are drawn that he's probably a political leader, right? The great misunderstanding of who Jesus was, that he was there to throw off the Roman captivity. And so people are misled. Not to mention that every leper in the countryside would have headed to where he was. People do flock to him. Verse 45 says he could not openly enter a town. He couldn't move at his own pace. The man who had been healed of leprosy can't help it, can he? Imagine being removed from society, your family, everybody that you love because of this awful, disgusting skin and full-body disease that everyone freaks out when they see you. And Jesus totally changes his life. I could see why he couldn't keep silent about that. We are like that leper in the sense that we have a disease that affects all parts of us. It makes us unclean. It makes us numb. It progressively makes us more rotten and more cut off from the rest of humanity. The disease we have is called sin. Romans chapters 1 through 3 lay a great theological understanding of that. It says that it's rampant in all humanity. All have sinned. None seek God. No one does good. Our throats are an open grave. Feet are swift to shed blood. It's a dark picture of who we are by nature. And so leprosy is this powerful symbol of moral depravity that we sin and resist the Lord. It takes hold in every part of our being and eats away at us until we're a shell of the person that we used to be. And actually, disease isn't really accurate because that sort of implies that it's something that came on us and we we don't want it because by nature... We want that. We want to be enemies of God. We we enjoy our sin. We crave unrighteousness by nature. But Jesus has the authority to cleanse you, to cleanse us, to heal us, to forgive even the vilest sin that you've committed. As you keep reading in Romans, Romans 5, 8, 9, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now your sin and my sin were a lot more costly for Jesus to heal than the leprosy. Because sin has a spiritual element that leprosy does not. And the penalty for sin is death and hell and separation from God. And God is holy and just can't overlook that. Someone has to pay the price for that sin. So Jesus gave up his life in exchange for ours. So we're like that leper. And we need Jesus' healing touch. But there's a sense also in which we're not like that leper. Hang with me. Sometimes we're the opposite in how we act after we're healed. Jesus says to the man after he's healed, don't tell anyone. But the man runs around freely spreading the news to us. Jesus says, tell everyone. Be my ambassadors. Be my witnesses. Teach them everything I've commanded you. And we don't. We keep it to ourselves. Got it, Jesus. Your secret's safe with me. Maybe we've just stopped being amazed at how he changed our lives and healed us. We should be as amazed as that leper that he has delivered us from our darkness and our condemnation, and we should be prepared to tell everyone. John 5, 27 says, And he, the Father, has given him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Authority. Matthew 28, the second part of the Great Commission Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If we read the gospel accounts as accurate historical records, which we do here, then we're compelled to see Jesus as fully God fully in charge of all things Colossians 1:16 and 17 says all things were created through him and for him he is before all things and him all things hold together I hope that you believe that the gospel accounts that Jesus is truly God one part of the trinity that has all authority and rules over all things If you don't that's okay We're glad that you're here. Keep coming, keep studying, keep working through your doubts. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But for those of us who recognize Jesus' authority, who intellectually assent to that truth, the true test of our belief in his authority is whether he is the king, and the authority of my life, of your life. Because it's easy to say, oh yeah, he can cast out demons, he can heal of sin. But when it comes to who is on the throne of my life, that's when we have really submitted to Jesus or not. I mean, we want to be able to schedule our time however we please. We want to be able to use our money for whatever we want. We want the right to choose our vocations and our vacations, right? Our jobs and our free time. But Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Follow me. Lay down your life. Do what I command. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus didn't say, well, go ahead and set up your life just the way you like it and if there's a little bit of time here and there, you can squeeze me in. And there's a radical difference in how you follow Jesus if you start with his authority for your life, that he is the king on the throne of your life or if you are. Yes, Jesus has authority over the scriptures and all theological knowledge because he's the author of them. And Jesus has authority over the spiritual world and the natural world because he is the creator of Jesus has authority over our lives because he gave us life and then gave us new life. When he saved us from our sins, repent, believe, and accept his lordship in your life and his authority sitting on the throne of your life. Think about that. Pray and then I'll Close us in prayer. Thank you for the gospel of Mark. Thank you for uh, Peter's recollection of his life with Jesus on earth and telling John Mark those words and Mark recording that. Thank you for these stories that just Reveal more and more what Jesus' power was and what he came to accomplish. And so as we look at this amazing authority that he possessed to cast out demons that wrecked people's lives, as he took away small illnesses, huge illnesses, diseases, that ruined people's lives. Now yeah, we stand in amazement. Just as the people that were there when Jesus walked the earth were astonished and amazed. And yet he has done, you have done a greater work in our lives by taking sinners who are spiritually dead who are enemies of you, reaching down, changing our hearts, giving us new hearts, giving us the Holy Spirit to change our wills and our minds. You have completely made us new creations. God, teach us how to respond to that, how to celebrate that appropriately, how to tell everyone We know because we are so thankful for what you've done in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.